My name is Sivia Cohen. I'm the founder of 14 Minds, a marketing agency that specializes in developing strategic campaigns that help nonprofit organizations connect with their audience. I've had the privilege of meeting some inspirational nonprofit leaders and doers who have devoted an untold number of hours to achieving their mission. Many of these incredible individuals have shared a similar frustration with me along these lines. No one knows what we really do, not even our own volunteers. It's so hard to explain all of our different services. People think our organization is a lot smaller than it is. That's why I created this podcast, to give non-for-profits a platform to share their mission with the world. I hope these conversations inspire you as much as they inspire me. Hello, and thank you for joining me. Today, I am sitting down with Avram Adler, the International Director of Yachad. Um, Avram, thank you so much for being here. I'll let you introduce yourself and tell us more about what you do. Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, so my name is Avrami Adler. I am uh, a father, a husband, uh, and currently the uh, international director of Yachad. Grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, moved to New York in the late 90s, and have been involved in sort of claw work, I would say, since then. Worked in the foster care system, worked in the home care industry, and really moved into the field of disabilities in 2000 or 2001. Uh, my educational background is as a licensed clinical uh, social worker. I didn't know that. Wow. So I guess that explains the foster care part of it. Well, when I moved, I actually moved from Cleveland uh, as a single. Uh, I really just wanted to help people and uh, got involved in the foster care system and uh, never thought I'd stay in New York, but I did. And uh, <laughs> And uh, sort of through that, went into, uh, you know, my undergraduate in, in psychology and my master's in social work. And, and uh, yeah, I guess the rest is history. So what was your first official nonprofit role? So I started as a counselor in a foster care group home. Um, and I worked in the foster care system for about, uh, I would say, a year and a half. After being a counselor, I was a, a caseworker, uh, still in the foster care system. It was sort of a, a step up from being a counselor in, in the group home. And I actually came to the field of disabilities by accident. I actually went with a kid who I was working with who had aged out of the foster care system who I thought was, I thought had a disability or a disability that would qualify for a group home that was being advertised that it was opening. Uh, I didn't know much about disabilities back then and the different types and what it meant and, and so forth. And I took him to interview for an opening at a group home to th see, you know, if he could live there because he was theoretically living on his own and he really wasn't capable. And it turned out he wasn't appropriate for this home, but the people who we met with actually offered me a, a role like on the spot. And uh, I guess the way the story goes is at first I sort of, turned it down. It was kind of very awkward. I'm here trying to help this guy and you're offering me a job. And I came home and I said something to my wife. I said, it's just a really strange thing. And she said, well, what would you say? I said, well, of course I said, this is like ridiculous. I'm not taking a job. I'm here for this kid. And so my wife uh, said, uh, yeah, you should probably call them back and uh, have a conversation. Life always knows. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And uh, so I went there and uh and I, I held probably every you know conceivable role in that organization. So I was an assistant manager, a manager, a clinical director, and 
ended up being their executive director for, I guess, the last seven or eight years of my tenure there. And from there, you stayed in the nonprofit sector or you jumped around? So from there, I, uh, I came to Yachas. I was there for about 17 years, all told. Um, and then the foster care system before that was about a year and a half or so. And I've been at Yachad for a little over four years. So what do you do at Yachad? What does it mean to be the international director? Uh, it's, I think it sounds more glamorous than it probably is. So I, I guess I would put it this way. So a little background on, on Yachad, you know, when I, when you, when you asked me to describe myself, right, I, uh, I think like most people, I really broke it down into three different areas. I said, you know, father and husband, I talked about my work and I talked about sort of my educational background. And so when I think about Yachad, that's really the, our goal as an organization for individuals with disabilities, intellectual, developmental and learning disabilities to really have those, those opportunities, the social opportunities, whether it's marriage, whether it's friendships and so forth, uh, a lot of people would define the, their success on this earth as sort of that social component, uh, education uh, and employment. And so those are the three sort of areas that we focus on. You know, we can probably get to that a little later. And so I, I sort of I see my role really as uh, mainly a couple of things, um, putting the right people in the right positions and right situations so that they can succeed, maximize their potential. Oftentimes, that means me getting out of the way, which is something that is very important and something that has taken me time to learn and haven't always been great at it. And even today, sometimes I would say I'm not always great at it either, but I think it's important for people to just sometimes just get out of the way. Uh, I'm blessed. I'm surrounded by what I consider the most talented and creative staff and, and really trying to unleash that creativity. Um, encouraging people to try new things, allowing people and encouraging people to fail. Um, failure is something that people think of as this negative thing, you know, horrible to fail. It was the saying is if you haven't failed, that means you haven't tried hard enough. And so it's hard to do that in the not-for-profit world and the claw work, I, I, I'll say, because when we think of failure, it seems that, you know, it impacts people's lives. And and so it's different than trying a new widget in a factory and it didn't work and it's okay. There's a little bit of money that's lost maybe, but no harm, no foul. And sometimes, you know, decisions that we make can have real world impacts on people. I also see my role as trying to set the course organizationally, strategic planning, growth, uh, setting priorities, ensuring long-term fiscal health. Um, and really so that the organization can thrive long after I'm gone. Yeah, that's really important. So I want to get into like the real topic of working in the nonprofit sector, what misconceptions may come along with it, you know, what, what people assume it comes with. So I want to get into that, but before we start getting down to the nitty gritties, I just want to know like, you touched upon it a little bit. What does it really mean to you to be able to do, like you say, claw work, to be able to be in the nonprofit sector, um, helping people every day? What does that mean to you? So, I mean, sometimes you have to pinch yourself, right? My job is to help my fellow Jew. Like, like how that's that's ridiculous. That's, I mean, that's the most amazing thing. So it's, it's really, to say that it's gratifying is like really underselling it. It's 
you know, I, I can't say that every single day that I come home from, from work, that it's the most amazing feeling. There are definitely very stressful days, but when you look back at it in sort of the bigger picture, I've been able to spend the last 20 to 25 years, at least to the best of my ability is trying to help my fellow Jew. And I've been able to support my family while doing that. And so I, I guess that would be the way I would say it. It's just, it's, it's sometimes you have to really stop and pinch yourself. And, and uh, you know, when I speak to friends who are in sort of other type of work and I hear sort of the, the kvetching or the things that they're dealing with, it, it, it doesn't really resonate because again, there's always things that we deal with, you know, in, in the claw world, it's, it's uh, again, every day isn't the greatest day. There's stresses and there's tension and there's a lot of weight on our shoulders at times, but the payoff is just different than, you know, it's not a payoff that you see in your paycheck. It's not a payoff that you see, like I have this new car or this, you know, whatever the biggest house or whatever it is. I just met, we had a, an event this past week, uh, actually this week, Monday evening, and it was at one of the local shuls and it was a, an event related to uh, in, inclusion and how to be more inclusive in our shuls and so forth. And because we're such a large organization, I, I don't get to meet everybody. I don't get to meet all the participants or the families. It's it's what I want to be doing, but it's, you know, in, in a role like this, I, I don't get to, to do that, and uh, at least not in person. And a woman comes up to me and she said, I just wanted to introduce myself. My name is Mrs. So-and-so. And then, honestly, uh, the name rang a bell, but I'm trying to, like, pick it. Like, where, where do I know this name? And she said, you know, you, you know, her, I was able to help her son get into a Israel birthright trip. And it was complicated. And we run a birthright trip. And was he appropriate? Wasn't he appropriate? And apparently a few years ago, she reached out to me. And in some way, I helped her and her son, and specifically her son, be able to go on this trip, and it made a huge difference in his life. And and so I went home, and I was just, like, beaming, you know, and I was just, like, uh, it, it's just the greatest feeling to be able to do that. Again, it's not every day, but it's, it's, you know, we talk about trying to really improve the lives of people who are less fortunate or have less opportunities, and we really try to give them the same opportunities that we have. And so when you're able to see some of that come to fruition and you hear people who have developed friendships and have spent years, you know, with one another, uh, someone with a disability and someone without a disability or two people with a disability and they have, a, you know, a real friendship or, you know, you hear from a, a participant or a parent that, you know, someone has a meaningful employment, right? We, we, we have a, a gentleman who just celebrated 15 years at a, at a job site. And it's not 15 years at a job site where the employer is like, oh, I'm doing a little chesed for somebody. And like, he's an integral part of the environment. Like they cannot function without him. It's just like, it's again, the most gratifying thing. It's not something you can put a price tag on or anything like that. It's just, you know, it just feels great. That's amazing. Wow. So do you believe that there are specific traits that make someone more suitable to the nonprofit sector than others? Like what, what makes you a good fit for your role in the nonprofit world or specifically at Yahad? So I, I would differentiate the terms not-for-profit and CLAL and just as a, you know, uh, most people probably don't know this, like Rolex actually is owned by a foundation that's uh, a not-for-profit. Uh, really? Yes. That's so random. I did not know that. And uh, I just saw that like a, a couple weeks ago. I couldn't believe it either. You know, one of the biggest 
health systems in the world is Cleveland Clinic. It's uh, it's technically a not-for-profit, but they're bringing in billions of dollars a year. So I would differentiate it from sort of cloud work to not cloud work. That's a good point. I, I, so in terms of whether what makes me a good fit for Yachad, I actually would allow somebody else to answer that. I I, uh, I don't know. I don't know the answer necessarily, or I'll, I'd leave that to others. I, th- I think in terms of traits. I, I'm not going to dodge the question, but I, I think it's important to say, I think, you know, obviously the conventional wisdom is, of course, there are traits that someone being being involved in, in claw work. I, I would say, though, over the last number of years, I've, I've had a sort of a change of thought on that. So when I first started, and many people, friends and others would say, you know, I could never do what you're doing, Right. And I certainly took it as a compliment, and I think it was meant as a compliment. But again, over time, I, I sort of see that in a different light, and, and I, I don't necessarily agree with that. So it's true that not every person with every trade could work in every role in cloud work. But that's true at the for-profit business level too, right? So if you said, okay, we have a factory that needs to run like clockwork in order to maximize profits and we're going to put someone who's not attentive to detail into that role right that doesn't work either um and so i think we sort of create this very narrow space for people to enter cloud work and i think it's a it's a big mistake so certainly can someone who lacks a certain natural sense of empathy work hands-on with people in need probably not although i would argue that person probably can't run a business either but cloud work involves so many other things, right? An organization like Yachad doesn't run because there are only social workers and people with empathy. There are finance people, there are HR people, there are IT people, there are marketing people. These are all people involved in cloud work too. And so when someone says, I could never do what you're doing, my response is, A, don't sell yourself short, number one. And number two, you can still help your fellow Jew and you can still do it as your job. Uh, it might look a little bit different, but I think that's no different than, you know, the business world too. Could every person run a business? Can every person do X part of that business? Maybe not, but they can help support that business. And I, and I think the same is true. I, the same is true for cloud work for sure. But to really answer your question, because uh, my goal isn't to dodge questions. If I had to pick a trait that would be required for long-term success and long-term accomplishments on a grander scale, uh, I think I would say it would be a a certain degree of patience. So I think most cloud work, again, at a bigger or grander scale, requires a certain degree of planning and executing that relies on a lot that is out of your immediate control. Of course, nothing's in our control. We know that God runs the world. But when you're owning a business, again, I have never owned a business, but I think a person's hishtadlus, I think a person's risk-taking is a little bit different. Um, when you're in a not-for-profit setting and you want to try something big or something new or something different, there's a board, there's lining up funding from donors, speaking with community members or different entities to sort of garner support. Um, And so from the idea phase to the execution or seeing something to fruition can really take months, if not years at times. Um, And I think the other thing is it's really, it's much harder. And there's a sort of an ethical dilemma in the cloud world 
about really taking significant financial risks with money that belongs to Kal Yisrael. And so I know before I said we try to encourage people to to be risk takers and to be able to fail, but like it's not just with a blank check because it's it's not our blank check. I'm not the business owner. I'm not the quote unquote balabayas of Yachad. I'm you know I'm a caretaker. We're all caretakers. The organizations, all of them, I really believe belong to the community. They're funded mostly or mainly by the community. And there's an achrayas, a responsibility that we have in terms of how we utilize that money and how we spend that money. And so that degree of patience, I would say, is something that if I had to say there's there's a trait, that would be something that is uh, necessary in my uh, in my experience. I would add that maybe uh, an element of being really good with people, because being able to handle that aspect of like it is the Klaus money, but if you only use it the way they think it should be used, you'd be extremely limited in what you can actually accomplish. So be able to sort of, I mean, I could do a whole other episode on that topic alone about what say the donors shouldn't, shouldn't get and, and all that. But I think that you, I, I would imagine it would be required to be really, really good with managing expectations and communicating plans and things like that. Would you agree with that? Yeah, no, I definitely would. And I, and I, that's why I would differentiate sort of the, the different roles, right? So if you're in a support role and, you know, like I really want the people that work in IT and finance and HR and so forth to really understand and know that none of this happens without them. And maybe they're not in front of the cameras. Maybe they're not the ones, you know, as hands-on with families or participants or whatever the organization is, but they're, they're just as needed. But certainly when you're in the position where you have to make some of these decisions and you have to articulate some of those decisions to different constituencies, it could be your staff, it could be your donors, it could be your board and so forth. There's a certain clarity certainly that's needed. And there's a certain, uh, I think there's a certain humility that one needs to have because it, it's, it's a massive responsibility. It's again, it's, None of this is mine. And so, you know, you don't want to have this arrogance that says, well, I'm the quote unquote expert. And so I know what's best. You have to listen to people, not just be able to communicate part of communication or the main part of communication is is the listening part, not just the articulating part. And realizing that, again, whether it's staff, board members, other donors, like a lot of people have a lot of great things to add. Um, and being humble enough to listen to those things and even acknowledge when you're wrong and say, okay, we have to change course, or this is a risk we can take, this is a risk we can't take, and and uh, allow it to be more of a, a conversation that allows you to make a more informed and better decision as opposed to walking into a room saying, this is the way it's going to be, and really shutting down that dialogue, and you're not sort of maximizing the people that are so talented and smart and creative who have maybe a different way of doing things or a different idea. So just to touch on your point about humbleness, because I work with a lot of people in the nonprofit and, and I agree that that's important, but there's also that flip side that I think is required. And I don't think the word is arrogance, maybe a boldness to be able to look at a huge challenge or a huge opportunity or a huge population of people that need and say, I can change the world like that. That takes guts. I think that for most people who work in the for-profit I don't want to say most, but, you know, they go and they do their job and it's just kind of 
on autopilot, but the disruption that happens, somebody who starts a nonprofit or who works in an executive position, that takes, I think, whatever the opposite of humility is um, in a very, very good way. That, that's what I've seen. They're really bold enough to go out and say, this is not acceptable the way it is. We can fix it. That's been my experience. Yeah, I think there are different types. I, I agree with that. I think there are different types of people in, in, in this world and in the, in the call work, let's call it. I think there are people that are founders. And founders are of a different, they're cut from a different cloth. I think that people, what you described to me, it doesn't mean that there aren't people that come into uh, these roles uh, after the fact that don't have those qualities that you mentioned, but I think sort of founders, um, and I've been blessed to be around some founders who have that sort of, I don't know, I don't know, I, 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 there's a there's a chutzpah in a good way. Yeah, that's a good word. I like that. Yeah. I, I I've recently connected to the woman who founded Yachad about forty years ago. Um, her name is Hannah Zweider. She lives in Israel, and she's this unbelievable woman person. And she's she's a force. Like forty years ago, like nobody was talking about this type of work. Nobody was talking about people with disabilities in the community and this, that, and the other. It was you know. There were some organizations that were getting started, maybe that had started, but not, not with this type of a mission. And I've been blessed to spend some time with her and others. And there's there's a certain there's a certain koach, there's a certain you know like I'm going to change the world mentality, mentality like you mentioned that is is rare. But I think those are the people that are are, are the founders. Those are the people that. You know, they see a problem. Sometimes it's a problem that they are personally affected by and they don't see something out there that is going to help their loved one. And so they say, this can't be, and I'm going to change this and I'm going to start this. And yeah, the, some of those people are just, again, there's a different there's a different level, a different force that they have. And so, yeah, I would agree with that for sure. I think there's also, I don't know if it's a misconception or an assumption that to be a front end nonprofit, whether it's founder, volunteer, executive, you need to be outgoing, extroverted, you know, the, the, the person that could work the room. Would you agree or disagree with that? So right here is exhibit A. Uh, no, I would completely disagree with that. And I, uh, I think that's a huge misconception. There are all types. I, I would say uh, I'm much more of, a, of an introverted person. Uh, even sitting here and doing this is not like, this is not in my wheelhouse. It's not the most, you know, uh, comfortable place for me to be. When I, of course, I have to be in bigger environments and I have to do some speaking and I have to be in bigger rooms. Um, but the truth of the matter is when that day is over and when I come home, those evenings are the ones that I'm the most wiped out and tired. It's it's so my nature is definitely much more of, of an introvert, and I, and I think that's a real misconception. Uh, and so, I really believe that anybody, again, I think I'm proof. I think anybody can be, you know, doing cloud work and being in cloud work. I think people, anyone, could be in leadership roles and executive roles uh, within within the cloud. Certainly there are types that are more outgoing and are sort of the people that walk into the room and they're sort of the magnets to everybody. And there's a place for that. 
and a lot of people, it resonates with a lot of people. And there are sort of quiet leaders that I think resonate with others as well. And so, but yeah, no, I, I don't, I, I think that, again, we limit, we limit the, right now, cloud work is going through a a phase, hopefully it's just a phase where it's harder and harder for people for people to feel like they could be in that work, whether it's, you know, the schools that I speak to are struggling in terms of getting Rebeam and Mora's um, not-for-profits, traditional not-for-profit organizations like ours and others are struggling. And part of it is misconceptions about, you know, I can't support my family doing this for sure. Um, and part of it, I think, are misconceptions of, you know, my personality doesn't, you know, fit that because who do I see? You know, the people that I see and that I know certainly are not the Avramiathos of the world. They're the ones who are, you know, sitting back quietly and not looking for all the, uh, you know, and the ones that they're seeing are fantastic at what they do. And the average person will see that and say, I can't be that. But the truth is the average person isn't that. The average person is probably closer to the personality that I have than the ones that are, you know, the handful, the 10, the 15, the 20 people that you that you might see and that most people would know, realizing that there's hundreds, if not thousands of organizations and schools in our community, the vast majority of those people are probably closer to, to my personality than to what people have this great vision of, of what it has to be. So maybe it's just that those extroverts they get a lot of attention. So people just think of those people, but it's really the rest of the population that's doing a lot of the good work. That's what I would guess. I think I want to go back to what you just said about the misconception about being able to support your family, because I think that's a really important part. I think that I think these are not my words. These are from Dan Pilata's Ted talk about having to choose between doing good and doing well. Like, you know, and, and he gives, he goes on to say like, you know, the, you know, the average person's better off, you know, going and making a lot of money in some, you know, pharmaceutical company or whatever, and then becoming a board member and calling all the shots of the nonprofit than being an employee. And I think that if, if that's not necessarily the case, I think that maybe we should be talking about it more. So I, I definitely don't think that that's the case. I'm certainly biased because I want more and more people to come into this work. Um, and I think our people need it uh, across the board. I think it comes down to, so first of all, you definitely can support a family, uh, whether it's Clay Kodish or Avodosai Kodish. I sort of separate those two out. Uh, I do not consider myself someone who's Clay Kodish. I'd like to believe that what we're doing is Avodosai Kodish. And certainly, you know, I started this work before I got married. I then got married, um, started a family. I wasn't an executive during those years. And it definitely, there, there are definitely struggles financially. There's no question about it. Again, the payoff is a little bit different. And I think that when someone says, well, I can either make a million dollars a year as a pharmaceutical rep and then join a board and be able to make a, a difference there, or I can work at a not-for-profit, make a lot less and struggle to get by. And those are my two options without understanding that there is there are a lot of benefits and detriments to either side. And so... What value do we place on our children's chinuch, right? Chinuch is not just in a school. Uh, in fact, I would argue chinuch is much more in the home. And what's the values that are, your kids are learning? 
So if your kids are learning the value of tzedakah because you're giving millions of dollars, that's fantastic. Um, I certainly interact with donors. We need those millions of dollars and thousands of dollars, and there's value there too. I like to say, and uh, I'm a better husband and a better father because of the work that I've done. I never say I'm a good husband or a good father. I leave it to them to say. But you become a better person. Your kids have different sets of values. And I, and I think that putting this as an either or, I, 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 I reject. I think that people have to rank or prioritize what's important to them in their lives, right? So how much value do you place on flexibility, right? How much value do you place on being in a firm environment? How much value do you put on money, on cars, and on the biggest house in the neighborhood? How much value do you put in feeling good about what you're doing? Not just that I'm giving money and that's I'm Yotze with that, but what's the, and and there's a need for both, right? So there's a need, obviously, for people to be working in this work. And there's certainly a need for people who are wealthy and who are giving and our people are the most giving people that are out there. And we do see this sort of as a partnership. So this is not ever meant to look at somebody who is, you know, earning a lot of money and saying that they're less than they're, if anything, I think in the Torah, it, like, Zavulin has mentioned at times before Yisachar because of that. And, and in an organizational level, uh, it's, it is sort of that partnership. And so it's me more when I talk to sort of younger people. We have a lot of volunteers at the high school age, at the college age. And many of them are, you know, going to be doctors, lawyers, accountants, like any good Jewish boy or girl. Uh, that's the way it's set up. And while I don't try to change their minds necessarily, there's a group of those people that can and maybe should be doing this type of work, that you can see it right away that they this is really what they want to do, but they're really concerned, can I really make a living? Can I really support a family? And the answer is yes. Are you going to have the fanciest car? No. Uh, are you going to have the biggest house? No. If that's really very important to you, I understand. But Again, a guy like me, I grew up in a in a blue collar home. So, living in a in a huge house or all the the finer things in life, I don't want to say I wouldn't enjoy them. I'm sure I would, but it's not a motivating factor. And so, again, flexibility, being able to to come and go. I wouldn't say at your at the way you want to, but if you're in a Jewish environment and you know being able to go to your kids sitter plays and chumash plays and leaving at different times to pick, pick up your one's kids or just being in a firm environment. I spoke to somebody recently who's very successful and is in an environment that isn't from a spiritual perspective, it's not the greatest environment. And not that they're looking to necessarily get out of it because they currently have a, you know, a, a certain lifestyle, I guess, that they are not able to change. But I will say on the flip side, I have gotten calls from people in the business world or the for-profit world who have just not been feeling that it's meaningful and sort of how do I get into this? And it's challenging, especially if people, you know, have been doing it for X number of years and they're already earning a certain amount of money and they can't walk into a not-for-profit at the necessarily at the highest level and they have a certain lifestyle and, and 
so certainly there are definitely challenges, but yeah, I, I, uh, I don't know if I've seen that Ted talk, but getting back to that, I sort of reject that. You said, (laughs) yeah, no, you, you definitely should because he makes a lot of important points about the assumption that people who work for nonprofits should be making less. And he's kind of challenging that assumption. And once you hear it, it, it absolutely make, makes no sense. But I like all the factors that you're saying, especially because I think we live in a time where there's like a general sense of like something missing in, in the air and people are looking for meaning. And, and that's why there's like such a proliferation of Torah and Chassidus. And I think that just putting that as a factor and you can choose a career with me. I, I mean, I get it all the time because I cho- chose to niche into nonprofits. And sometimes that's a challenge from a financial perspective because they don't always have it. And people will say to me, oh, why don't you go into healthcare? Or I, I could, and I used to do it, but I would be giving up a lot. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, that definitely resonates with me. And I think that it's an important factor. Is there any other factors that you would tell someone who is considering, like, you know, if they're at a crossroads between the nonprofit and for-profit world, are there any other factors you would have them consider? <laughs> I, I, I think that I don't know if there would be any other factors, really. I think that, again, it's really what what do you as a person value and, 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 and how do you I would almost like I'd almost rank them if you could, you know, each person to, you know, to think about it that way. For me, it was never like that. I sort of had this idea and notion that I'd be in this world really from, you know, when I was a teenager. Um, and so I was never at that crossroads. But, you know, I, I think the people that I speak with that feel like they're at this crossroads are either people that sort of have not yet started as professionals in any arena and, you know, maybe their parents want them to be X and they are sort of thinking about really being in claw work. There's not, a, there are many parents that are not necessarily uh, pushing their kids towards claw, claw work because they are worried about can they support their family and, and so forth and so on. And so there's that group. And then the other group is what I was saying before, there are people who, so what you were saying, who are unsatisfied, you know, studies now coming out, the loneliness across the country, the those are higher than they've ever been. And again, in this type of work, there's, there is a different level of camaraderie in an office environment or togetherness, uh, people going on Shabbatones together. It's, it's, it's just a whole, it's a different, a, a completely different environment. And again, it's, Maybe not for everybody, but the idea of, you know, yes, there might be times where it's a little bit difficult and, you know, uh, you might have your boiler in your house break at a time where it's like, oh my gosh, really? Like, I, this is like the worst, worst time ever. It's like, you know, I'm making a bar mitzvah in three weeks, whatever it might be. Those are things that do come up. But in terms of financial success, even in the for-profit world, again, I'm not an expert in the for-profit and the business world, like nobody's guaranteed success there either. And so, you know, uh, that's that's sort of the flip side. Uh, I think if people believe in themselves and they're going into the for-profit world and they have the real belief in themselves, I think they can be successful in the not-for-profit world. Uh, again, it may not mean, you know, every time your kids are off school, you're going to end up going to the Bahamas or to Spain or to all those places. But like, I don't know. (laughs) So we talked about a couple of misconceptions about the nonprofit world. Is there anything that you think people just don't know that you would want to kind of like the secret of working for a nonprofit that you would want to share? 
And I don't know if I would, I don't know if there's any secrets. I think that, again, the impact it has on a person and, and on an individual, I think is either not known or probably undersold your own sort of personal growth. And I think people who are in cloud work are probably, I don't know this, and there hasn't been any studies that I know of, are probably searching for those things that we talked about before less. Um, and there's a reason for that, right? The, the spiritual growth, the social component. And then I think through osmosis, maybe even, I don't know if that's the right way of saying it, that just becoming a better person and a better spouse or a better parent and, and what that means um, and the impact that has on everything, uh, I think is, is probably not talked about enough. Although I don't know, again, that that's a big secret necessarily, but uh, I, I guess the other thing is that the flexibility that I spoke about before. I think that, you know, in, in a previous role we had, uh, we hired a bunch of nurses and it was a not-for-profit and, uh, you know, why would someone come to choose? Why would someone choose to work at a not-for-profit when they could go work, let's say, at a hospital, which could have set, be set up either way? Um, but the pay is better at hospitals. It's, there's no competition, and it, the answer was it's the flexibility. That's all that we're that's all that we're selling. No, we can't meet the salary demands of a of a hospital. But you know what? If you need to pick up your child at three o'clock from the bus, you can do that with us. You can't, you're in a 12 hour shift at the hospital. You can't leave your, you can't leave your shift. So I think that people are much more understanding. I want people's number one priority to be their families. I want Yacha to be a close second, but I want there to be a clear distinction uh, that your family is number one. When somebody comes to me and says that their number one priority is the organization, I say either they're not being honest or there's something wrong there because it has to be family. We try to push that. And uh, I think it gives people, again, that flexibility and people don't feel guilty. I'm going to my kids, you know, a Purim party. Great. That's exciting. Share pictures, whatever it might be. And I think that that's something that isn't in, in most other settings in the, certainly in the for-profit world. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely fantastic. I think the for-profit world should learn a lot from that. Um, so this was great. Thank you so much. If someone wants to contact you, learn a little bit more about some of the topics we touched upon, how can they reach you? Best way to reach out to me is email adlera at ou.org. Uh, so Yachad is a department of the Orthodox Union, uh, one of uh, a dozen or so. And so that's really the best way to get in touch with me. Again, Adler, A at OU.org. And uh, I would welcome anybody either needing, wanting to find out more about Yachad and how it can help if someone has a, a loved one in their family who has a disability um, or if I can be helpful in any other way. Thank you. So one final question before we sign off. In one sentence, what would be the main takeaway that you would want someone who listened to this episode to walk away with? Can I cheat and go with two? Permission granted. Okay, so the first thing that I would want people, even though we didn't talk about it as much as I would want, is individuals who have disabilities have the, have the or should have the opportunities like we have, whether it's the social opportunities, educational opportunities, employment opportunities, and that there there are opportunities. I would want people to know that. I think 
sort of more globally and more broadly, I think was what we touched on before, is that working for the claw is something anyone can do. And it's not limited to the most gregarious or outgoing people. It's not, uh, it's not limited to anybody who has skill X, Y, or Z. It's anybody. You could be a hands-on person. You could be a support person. The Jewish people need you, and you can do it. Amazing. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Change the World podcast. If you have any feedback or an idea for my next episode, or if you're a nonprofit leader interested in learning more about how 14 Minds can help your nonprofit, I'd love to hear from you. Just send an email to tzivya at 14minds.com. For more nonprofit content, follow me on LinkedIn or visit 14minds.com.